Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, hot on the heels of Saskatchewan taking over the carbon tax on high emitters. The province has launched a website to show that products from Saskatchewan are high quality, sustainable and meet a higher environmental standard. We'll hear from Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe on that. He made the announcement at Agribition in Regina this morning. And speaking of Agribition, CN Rail is providing $100,000 to Saskatchewan Stars Air Ambulance. That announcement made this morning at Agribition. We'll hear from CEO Sean Kindop on that and other events planned at Agribition today. Grain movement is returning to near record levels in Western Canada after some delays in late October and early November. We'll hear from CN Rail Vice President of Grain David Shadnovic, who was also a speaker this morning at Agribition in Regina. And of course, Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided his weekly overview of the wheat market. We will have that coming up on today's program as well. So all of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio is looking to buy your canola. Call them today at 306-272-6284. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, we had some snow and some blowing snow that's resulted in a lot of drifting here in the Yorkton area. Can we expect some more snow before the day is out? Yeah, there's still a few flurries around. I think the bulk of the uh, accumulating snow, and again, when you get the wind and the light snow, it tends to do more blowing than accumulating. But uh, what accumulation there is is mostly past at this point. Uh, may still be a few flurries, may still be a fresh coating in spots, areas that are drifted away, may still see uh, a fresh layer of white. But uh, for the most part, things are winding down. There'll be more in-the-air nuisance-type stuff, and that'll all wind down by early this evening. Temperature, though, is uh, not going in the correct direction. We've uh, been pretty much uh, slowly declining, wobbling a bit, holding fairly steady at times. But the general trend has been down, give or take a few tenths of a degree here and there. We'll, we'll let those slide as, as uh, variations from our overall downtrend. But the downtrend will continue very slowly. We're not plummeting by any means. We're just not rising. And the numbers are moving somewhere that's moving down. We'll drop off to our minus 11, maybe minus 12. And then a bit more of a decline for tonight as the wind actually comes down. We'll drop off to a minus 21 tonight with a clearing sky. But in the meantime, while the wind is up, and it will be up uh, to some extent through most of the afternoon, the wind chill uh, often on the other side of minus 20. The temperature itself down near minus 20 tonight, as I mentioned, uh, the wind chill less of a factor, but certainly it is still a factor of minus 21, even with a wind down to 15, that will still drop the wind chill pretty close to minus 30. So a biting cold tomorrow morning and 
really not a whole lot of improvements through the day. Not much wind for the afternoon tomorrow, but not much warming either. Minus 17 will do it. We'll drop back early in the night Wednesday night. A little bit of cloud cover rolls and even a couple of flurries toward morning and through the day on Thursday. But we'll start rising overnight. A uh, nice swing from minus 22 to minus 9 on Thursday with those flurries around. They shouldn't amount to too much, uh, mostly light stuff, but up to minus 9. And the wind picks back up again, 15 to 25. The warm-up is not a trend. It's a brief uh, disturbance in this overall cold pattern. And still, even the uh, warm day on Thursday is below average. We're back to minus 18 on Friday. And leftover flurries are gone by early morning, partly to mostly sunny through the day, and minus 15 for Saturday. We're likely within a degree or so of that on Sunday with a dry weekend in store. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 12 degrees. Swan River and Roblin minus 10. Dauphin minus 8. Brandon minus 6. Show Lake Russell minus 9. Regina, Saskatoon, Hudson Bay, and Indian Head all reporting in at minus 11. Broadview, Mooseman, minus 10. Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 12. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly cloudy sky, a north-northwest wind at 35, gusting to 52 kilometers an hour. 79% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 11 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 21 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of zero and dropped to a low of minus eight. There was 1.4 centimeters of snow that fell in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus seven. The normal low is minus 17. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.29 this morning and it will set at 4.48 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was Morden at plus 2 degrees. The cold spot Tadouli Lake at minus 21 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Estevan at plus 3 degrees. The cold spot Stony Rapids at minus 21 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return in one minute's time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Hot on the heels of Saskatchewan taking over the carbon tax on high emitters, the province has launched a website to show that products from Saskatchewan are high quality, sustainable, and meet a higher environmental standard. It's called SustainableSK.ca. Premier Scott Moe made the announcement at Agribition in Regina this morning. The Premier says Saskatchewan has some of the highest quality and sustainably produced food, fuel and fertilizer that a growing world needs. He says Saskatchewan farmers sequester 12.8 million metric tons of carbon in their land due to zero tillage. That's the same as taking 2.78 million cars off the road every year. 
Well, you know, this is something that we really heard from uh, from Saskatchewan pe- people and, and, and in various industries over the course of the summers. You know, I was out uh, in a number of town halls and, you know, people really um, wanted uh, the government and wanted uh, their industry um, industry leadership to be more bold in telling the story about what we are actually doing uh, in this province. Not only what we are producing and what we are providing to the world in the way of food, fuel and fertilizer, but how we are, are producing those products. And um, so that's what this initiative is about. Is, is to educate and to inform uh, not only our global customers in over 150 countries where we export products to, but to also uh, do our part in informing our fellow Canadians on um, the high-quality products that we produce in Saskatchewan, but just as importantly, uh, how we are producing those products relative to, to other areas of the world. And in agriculture, as you uh, saw the statistics I had put forward, we have a far lower carbon footprint, uh, 65% in the way of canola and wheat, 95% percent lower in the case of, uh, of, of field peas than our global competitors. Potash is about half of the carbon content per ton of potash. A very strong uh, story we have in this province from a, a sustainability perspective. We would are, are proud of that as Saskatchewan residents and we would invite uh, other Canadians to be equally proud. Moad Saskatchewan will also have a promotion campaign in airports, television ads and other areas to point out this province's effort to produce goods sustainably. He had a message to Agribition exhibitors and visitors. Well, I, I think we'll start with a sustainable Saskatchewan message, and I said, and, and, and secondarily, I'd just say uh, thank you. Uh, you know, we, we uh, have had a, a challenging couple of years in some areas of the province, um, most certainly a challenging year last year across most of the province, um, but thank you for, uh, you know, producing what, uh, across the province in general, is likely going to be one of the larger crops that we've seen in, in quite some time. Um, and uh, most certainly, I would say that the, this government is going to to be uh, doing all we can to ensure that we can continue to have the market access around the world and ensure we can do what we can in uh, in, in, in putting our best foot forward on uh, not only what we produce here in Saskatchewan, but communicating how we produce these products in Saskatchewan. We have a great story to tell, a uh, great story to tell from a, a sustainability perspective, and, and we most certainly want to tell it on our producer's behalf. Mo pointed to Saskatchewan potash mines that produce 40% of the emissions per ton as competing jurisdictions, making Saskatchewan the largest and greenest potash producer in the world. He also pointed to Saskatchewan's enhanced oil recovery program, sequestering enough carbon to make 4.5 million homes energy neutral for an entire year. Meanwhile, CN Rail is providing $100,000 to Saskatchewan Stars Air Ambulance. The announcement was made this morning by CN Rail President Tracy Robinson at Canadian Western Agribition in Regina. Agribition CEO Sean Kindop says the support is welcome. Down at the uh, Food, Fuel and Free Trade this morning, we had Tracy Robinson from CN speaking and uh, she concluded off the breakfast by uh, presenting our charity of choice stars with a with a donation of $100,000, so it's a pretty exciting start to, to, to a Tuesday, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what the rest of the week brings. He says STARS is very important to rural Saskatchewan. What STARS does for this province is, you, you can't put it into words. They've impacted so many lives, and it's, it's hard to put into words. They're very special. Kindop is very impressed with CN's donation. When uh, when Tracy had done it, she was in tears. It's uh, to, to watch the raw emotion about someone that truly believes in what they're doing and, and believes in the cause. It's yeah, it's it is an emotional morning, and we are, we're very proud that they chose our event to make that announcement. 
He says there's a number of events at Agribition today. Yeah, we've got uh, National Bison Day. We've got the, the Grain Expo, the Indigenous Egg Summit. We've got the horse pulls. Like it's, it's a jam-packed day down here, and uh, we welcome everyone to come down. Kindop was pleased with the attendance numbers for the opening day yesterday. Fantastic. We almost doubled the 2021 numbers, which is beyond fantastic, especially when you've got the uh, Mother Nature not wanting to fully cooperate. But yeah, we're definitely proud with day one numbers and looking forward to, uh, to today. But he can't finalize the numbers just yet. Uh, not yet. I'm, just, I'm, I'm fine. Finally, we're almost at 9,000 at the moment. I just want to put the uh, final touches on that. Kindop says that was almost double last year's first day attendance. Yeah, it was, so out of 2021, was uh, not quite five. He provides his explanation for the jump in attendance this year. I think people are ready to get back to it. You, you uh, Last year, you had to be seated to have a beer, and it, 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 it proved a couple complications or uh, limitations. Yeah. So to be able to uh, get back to a bit more normal, you can tell the people are ready, and uh, we're excited for this week. And as for tomorrow... Tomorrow, yeah, we, we've got, again, the day two of the Indigenous Ag Summit and day two of the Grain Expo. We've got uh, the rodeo kicks off at free admission. Yeah, so much. Cattle events tomorrow include the National Speckle Park Show and Sale, the Semental Show, the Main Anjou Sale, the National Gelbvi Show, and the Limousine Video Sale. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. Farm cash receipts improved 13.7% during the first three quarters of 2022, according to Statistics Canada. From January to September, those receipts reached $66.7 billion. That increase of more than $8 billion was due to higher receipts for crops, livestock, and program payments. The report notes crop receipts rose 7.3% at $36.6 billion. Canola and wheat, excluding Durham, accounted for 41.7% of the increase. Wheat, excluding Durham, tacked on $892.6 million at $6.5 billion. Canola increased $102.9 million, rising to $8.8 billion. Among the declines were Durham, which lost $386.2 million at $1.1 billion, and Barley falling $143.4 million at $864.9 million. StatScan said livestock receipts were up 11.8% at $24.7 billion with cattle accounting for 40% of the increase by contributing $1.1 billion. Dairy and chickens for meat fetched $564.6 million and $343.7 million, respectively. Meanwhile, program payments such as crop insurance jumped 125% at $5.4 billion. Heavy long liquidation in Ice Futures Canola saw the managed money speculative position flip back to a net short after a brief flirtation with a net long. That's according to the latest commitment of traders report from the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. The net managed money short position in Ice Futures Canola came in Tuesday at 3,879 contracts, 
a swing of about 13,500 from the previous week's net long position of 9,661 contracts on a combination of long liquidation and new shorts going on the books. Open interest in the canola market moved and increased by 6,423 contracts during the week to 240,715. Agriculture groups in Canada are applauding the Liberal government's long-awaited Indo-Pacific strategy and say they are hoping it will deliver on more free trade. The strategy that ministers announced in Vancouver on Sunday seeks to increase military spending and build closer trade ties with countries in the region. More than $2 billion is promised in the strategy, with $244 million going toward improving trade. Producer groups say that is good news for farmers because it could lead to Canada striking more free trade deals. Canola Council of Canada President Jim Everson says he thinks the strategy can bolster existing trade deals like the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Everson says he hopes it could also lead to progress in negotiations for an agreement with the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. The Pest Management Regulatory Agency, or PMRA, their 2021 re-evaluation of the permitted uses of Lambda Cyhalothrin, the active ingredient in insecticide products such as Silencer, has at least one company reconsidering offering the affected products for 2023. Adama Canada has announced it will consult with industry before making a final decision on its products with Lambda Cyhalothrin as an active ingredient that being Silencer in Zivada. Syngenta also offers Matador, which contains Lambda Cyhalothrin. The PMRA decision on the active ingredient published in April of 2021 requires that products containing Lambda Cyhalothrin be labeled with new usage guidelines, including restrictions on using sprayed crops for feed use. Companies were given 24 months to implement the changes, Adama Canada says that in recent days, some ag industry participants have questioned whether it is feasible to use the product at all, considering how difficult it is to trace where crops will be used after they leave the farm. And the number of locations infected with bird flu in British Columbia is climbing. In November, the province has seen 29 premises become infected with the disease, bringing the number to 38 infected overall, according to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. Of those 29, a majority are located in Chilliwack or Abbotsford. One is in the regional district of Bulkley, Nechaco, and the other is in the district of Kent. For context, BC had six confirmed cases of avian flu in October. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back in 60 seconds time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly cloudy and minus 11 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Grain movement is returning to near record levels in western Canada after some delays in late October and early November. CN Rail Vice President of Grain, David Shednovic, says heavy rain prevented Vancouver grain terminals from loading grain for several weeks this fall, 
causing a backup in Prairie Green movement. Since the uh, terminal productivity-related issues that the end-to-end supply chain ran into in the back end of October and the first couple weeks of November, the supply chain has really roared back. The high water mark for grain shipments was week 12. That was the week of October 16, 810,000 tons. Then it kind of softened for a three-week period. Last week for week 17, third best week ever on CN, oh, about 770,000 tons of shipments. And the week prior to that, it was almost 800. So sun came out, supply chain recovered. For the most part, with the exception of a couple issues here and there, things are back to normal and running hard. He explains why their grain movement was slowed. Well, it was slowed because we ran into, uh, we, see, we started seeing terminal productivity issues uh, become really chronic at the Port of Vancouver. Got into a really bad stretch of persistent heavy rainfall in the last week of October. Uh, terminal productivity really drops off when we get into the rain in the Port of Vancouver because the ability to load grain into vessels when it's uh, raining or in inclement weather is very limited, and that slows things down. If you can't get grain onto boats, you can't make space in the terminals to unload trains. At one point in the in late October, we had almost 20 trains either holding loaded at origin or along the route because we couldn't advance them forward. That started to straighten out, especially in the second week of November, and now we're pretty much back to where we were. So that's really positive. Shednovic says they're now pretty much back to normal. I would say so, just given that, you know, the past two weeks have been the second and third best weeks we've ever had, end-to-end supply chain performing really well. Now we're, of course, we're almost at the end of November. We're getting into December. We're going to see how uh, the weather cooperates for us here. As for scheduling... Yeah, I'd say against the grain plan in which we lay out based on, you know, if we have all the conditions in place to achieve maximum sustainable levels. I'd say for the most part, we've had most of those conditions the past couple of weeks, which is why we've got the results that we've been seeing. The fluidity to the Port of Vancouver has especially improved. Again, you know, smaller issues here and there, but I'd say we're, we're pretty much running, you know, pretty much full blast here end to end. But Shednovic says they're planning for challenges in the weeks and months to come. Well, we know winter comes every year. We also know two win- no two winters are alike. We, uh, we can take a lot of actions to mitigate the impact of extreme cold conditions. That's laid out in our winter plan. And we've really fundamentally changed the way we run the railroad starting back this spring and summer. And that's been really paying off in terms of a much more fluid, faster-moving network. You know, there's always the things that may happen that are really beyond anybody's control. You think we really want to avoid, you know, a situation like we saw last November when we had the washouts in southern British Columbia. I mean, that's things where Mother Nature intervenes and you can take actions to mitigate these things, but some of those big events beyond anybody's control can occur, and hopefully we stay out of stay out of trouble in that way this year. And he provided these final thoughts. I'd say the main thing is that we've made fundamental changes to the way that we run the railroad. And those fundamental changes have really translated into a really strong grain movement off the combine this fall through gut slot harvest October, November. Those changes position us really well here as we get into into December and beyond. And it's been good to see the, uh, again, couple of issues like I mentioned earlier, but overall, you know, we had a record October. We've been, uh, we've been seeing really strong movement for the most part this fall, with the exception of a couple of weeks where it slowed down. That's good news. I mean, grain moving means grain's getting delivered. David Shednovic is the vice president of grain for CN Rail. He made his comments this morning at Canadian Western Agribition in Regina.
It's time now for the livestock market conditions, and they're a presentation of Heartland Livestock in Verdon. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for December are trading at 152.77. That's up 20. February live cattle trading at 154.85, up 17. January feeder cattle trading at 178.02. That's up 115. March feeder cattle trading at 181.15, up 55. December lean hogs trading at 81.17. That's up 57. February lean hogs trading at 84.32, down 42. And that's the livestock market conditions. Please stay tuned. GX and Agriculture will be back right after this. Back to GX and Agriculture. Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided his weekly overview of the wheat market. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission yesterday afternoon. It was a short week in the futures markets due to the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. Many traders took the entire week off to travel. Futures markets were slow and thin, but closed on Friday, marginally down for the week. In the significant purchases and trades, Egypt bought 175,000 tons of Russian and Ukrainian wheat for December-January movement. Algeria bought between 300 and 450,000 tons of Dijan Durham on Tuesday. The tender was originally for 50,000 tons. Iraq bought 200,000 tons of wheat from Australia and 100,000 tons of wheat from Canada. Pakistan was supposed to tender today for 500,000 tons of wheat, but postponed this to the 30th. Jordan tenders Tuesday for 120,000 tons of March-April movement. Turkey tenders for 455,000 tons of Feb wheat on Tuesday. This will likely come from Russia. U.S. weekly wheat sales were strong last week at 512,000 tons. This was boosted by a 200,000 ton sale for, to Iraq. The trade was expecting sales in the 300 to 600,000 ton range. In some of the most important news, cash trade remains strong as buyers look to extend coverage before the holidays. There is strong demand and most of the demand is for nearby positions. Russian wheat is the cheapest in the world and is taking most of the sales, but European wheat is also working its way into U.S. markets, which is changing the trade matrix. For Canadian wheat, Canadian exports for week 16 were 449,000 tons, which remains well ahead of the pace needed to meet AAFC's 18.3 million ton export number. If we continue at the current pace, Canada will export 19.5 million tons. Canadian non-Durham wheat exports seasonally slow into the winter before picking up and peaking in late spring. There's been strong demand from Iraq, who is excluding Russia from their wheat tenders. Iraq bought 200,000 tons of Aussie wheat, 100,000 tons of Canadian wheat, and the U.S. weekly sales report indicated they bought 200,000 tons of U.S. wheat two weeks ago. Most of Iraq's purchases have been Red Spring or APW class wheat. In the Durham market, Algeria bought between 300 and 400,000 tons of Durham last Tuesday. 
The price paid calculates to about $13 a bushel at the elevator in Saskatchewan. This price is similarly reflected in the price in Italy, where Durham values fell 5 euros a ton over the week. Changes in exchange rates caused this price to be essentially unchanged from last week at the Canadian elevator at about $13 a bushel. Stats Canada's next crop estimate is out on Friday, and we think they need to reduce Durham production. Their current estimate for Canadian Durham production is 6.1 million tonnes, with a 38 bushel per acre yield. Provincial yield reports have us guessing the number will be closer to 5.6 million tonnes, with a yield of 35 bushels per acre. There was another strong week of Durham movement last week, with 186,000 tonnes of Canadian Durham delivered into the elevator system, and 205,000 tonnes of Canadian Durham being exported. Most of the exports were from the Port of Vancouver. We would consider selling additional tons of Durham. We would target another 25% at $14.50 a bushel for a number one quad. This would be roughly $14.35 a bushel for a number three quad. In the US, the USDA tentatively put 2023 US wheat area at 47.5 million acres. This would be down 2% or 1 million acres from last year. The US winter wheat crop condition was unchanged from last week at 32% good to excellent versus 44% good to excellent last year. This is the lowest crop rating for this time of year since records began in 1986. In Australia, weather in Australia is more conducive to harvest and will allow for better progress. Yields in the West continue to be strong, and there are reports that quality in the East is better than initially feared. Spring wheat prices in North America have been supplanted by flooding in Australia, but some of this may dissipate if quality continues to be better than expected. APW FOB values in Australia are down $15 a ton from last month at $370 a ton. This is still $35 a ton more than the same time last year. In Argentina, crop ratings were unchanged at 8% good to excellent, and harvest is now 13% complete. NDVI values, or vegetative values rather, in Buenos Aires, where 42% of Argentina's wheat crop is grown, are the lowest on record. Badge left their estimate of Argentina's wheat crop at 12.4 million tons. The current range of analyst estimates is from 11.8 million tons to 15.5 million tons, but it seems that the majority of estimates are gravitating towards the sub-12 million ton number, especially when considering that the crop suffered frost damage in parts of September, October, and November. A crop failure and the renewal of the Black Sea Trade Corridor will cause wheat exports from Argentina to struggle. Rosario GE lowered their export number for Argentina's wheat by 7 million tons. This is nearly 50% of last year's amount. In the European Union, there is still a strong lineup of upcoming wheat purchases. Most of these will be scooped up by Russia, but EU wheat should be able to capture some of these sales. Most of the sales are for nearby shipment. With some EU wheat being sold to the U.S. Southeast, EU wheat can now price into the U.S. wheat market, which will pressure U.S. prices. In the Black Sea, the Black Sea wheat market was quiet. Russia has the cheapest wheat by far and is taking most of the wheat sales, but limited capacity should allow for some of this demand to slip by. Ukraine's ports are opening, but very slowly. 
Just five vessels have left Ukraine since the trade deal was renewed. In the coming week, we expect markets to start slowly after the Thanksgiving weekend. Wheat could be lower due to European wheat being competitively priced into the U.S. markets. However, there is very good cash business in wheat and users are uncovered beyond December. And we expect wheat futures will be stronger by the end of the week. In conclusion, we would look at targeting the sales of another 25% of our Durham wheat production, but would hold milling wheat sales for now. That's Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. It's time now for the commodities update, and that's a presentation of Hackman Feeds. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. January canola trading at 840.40. That's up $22.60. March canola trading at 837.10, up $19.70. December Minneapolis wheat trading at 945 and a quarter, down six cents. December Kansas City wheat trading at $9 per bushel down four and three quarters of a cent. December Chicago wheat trading at 758 per bushel. That's up one and a quarter cents. December corn trading at 666 and a half down two and a quarter cents. January soybeans trading at 1458 per bushel. That's up three quarters of a cent. December oats trading at 386 and a half down one cent. And that's the Commodities Update. The Beef Breeds Council of Canada held its annual general meeting yesterday afternoon in Regina at Canadian Western Agribition. David Sibbald is the chair of the council. He says the council is involved with high-tech data for expanding Canadian beef exports. We have a lot of guests. A lot of our members, which are all the breeds that are showing here, are all members of our organization. And what we really do is oversee and are part of the National Beef Strategy, one of the seven national organizations that look after the National Beef Strategy. And our role in that is really the genetic advancement of the Canadian beef herd. He explains how they're doing that. We're utilizing the technology. Really what we're doing in our Sieben project, which is really digitizing the data that exists in all of the silos and the components of the beef value chain, cow-calf, feedlot, packer, retailer, consumer, and taking all that data learning and putting it on a super highway. So we compile a large amount of data and now we can actually start to advance our genetics through targeted breeding. Sybold expects a large number of international visitors at Agribition again this year. What they come for, and one other extension of our uh, CBBC platform, is the support of international markets. And so all these international guests, why they're coming here for is the genetics that our Canadian stockmen, stock ladies, truly build here. Canada is known worldwide for the quality of the genetics across a whole host of breeds. And I think I think there's 12 showing here, but uh, in Canada there's uh, over 30 breeds, different breeds registered in Canada, and they all come with various traits from from you know, carcass quality, mothering ability, calving ease, and, and, and production efficiencies. And so in the end, we're in the protein business. And genetics are a big component, DNA as it is in everything in our life. DNA influences the production efficiencies of that protein. So it's, a big, it's, it's, a big, it's a big story. He tells us how international customers don't just purchase Canadian genetics by importing a bull anymore. 
Oh, well, you're exactly right. So the, the live trade is, is more the protein edible component, but the genetic component travels globally now through embryos and semen. And so here in Canada, we have multiple facilities across our country that collect those embryos, collect that semen for distribution to other countries, and that's how they access our genetics. Sybold says the trade is going very good right now. Very good. I would say uh, COVID disrupted everybody's business models. Uh, you know, trade and travel was drastically reduced. But that's why the foreign guests that you talked about are coming here is to access those genetics to take back to their countries to improve their quality of animal for their customers, whether it be domestically or international. And he adds, Agribition lets them see the cattle in person. I would say Agribition is the largest place in Canada to gather those international guests. And that's why cattle have come from all corners of Canada to compete here, because this is the showcase within the beef industry. As for yesterday's annual general meeting... With the formality here is really report back to our stakeholders and our members. And so, you know, the progress we've made both from a financially perspective, but how we've influenced the genetic spread in this thing through domestic and international trade. But, you know, in all honesty, we're building this super highway that is the digitized component that, quite frankly, Canada is a leader globally in this space. And we're eventually, we'll hope to get that to uh, an artificial intelligence platform where it, it learns and treats itself. And Canada, because of size and scale and quality, is uh, leading the world in this new digitization technology advancement from a genetic perspective. David Sibold is the chair of the Beef Breeds Council of Canada. They held their annual general meeting at Canadian Western Agribition in Regina yesterday afternoon. Farm Bulletin Board. Speaking of agribition, underway right now, starting at 1 o'clock, will be the Alpaca Fleece Show Awards. Also at 1 o'clock, it's Bison Day. Bison Day will kick off with an Indigenous cultural showcase, followed by various presentations on bison, including the anatomy of a bison, how to judge a bison, and much more. At 1.30 this afternoon, it's the Alpaca Halter Show. Then at 1.30 this afternoon, the middleweight Canadian horse pull finals presented by Ritchie Brothers. You can come witness the true horsepower. Watch teams of horses pull a weighted sled up to 10,000 pounds across the arena floor. That's in the Brandt Centre, of course. At 4 o'clock this afternoon, it's the heavyweight Canadian horse pull finals presented by Ritchie Brothers as well. And you can see those horses pull up to 10,000 pounds across the arena floor. At 6 o'clock tonight in the Brandt Centre, it's the Agribition Open Cattle Dog Trial. You can watch as handlers utilize hand signals, voice commands and whistles to direct their dog. But at 6.30 tonight is the Bison Video Sale. That'll be held in the John Deere Sale Arena. Don't forget the Prairie Livestock Expo, which was previously known as Hog and Poultry Days, is a new multi-species trade show which will be held December 14th at the Victoria Inn Hotel and Convention Centre in Winnipeg. Parking for that event will be free. Mark your calendar now and plan on attending the Prairie Livestock Expo in Winnipeg December 14th. And that's all the time we have for the Farm Bulletin Board. It's time now for your agriculture weather. And that's a presentation of Yorkton Ag and Auto Supply. The GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, 
Broadview Musaman Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. A 70% chance of flurries, winds north-northwest at 15 to 30 and gusting higher at times, the temperature falling to minus 11. For tonight, a 90% chance of flurries, then clearing, a northwest wind at 15 to 25, a low of minus 19. For tomorrow, partly sunny, winds northwest at 10 to 20 and a high of minus 17. For Thursday, a 40% chance of spotty snow showers, winds west-northwest at 15 to 25, and a high of minus 9. For Friday, early flurries, then partly sunny, a high of minus 18, and Saturday, partly sunny, a high of minus 15. In the Paw, it's minus 12 degrees, Swan River and Roblin minus 10, Dauphin minus 8, Brandon minus 6, Show Lake Russell minus 9. Regina, Saskatoon, Hudson Bay, and Indian Head all reporting in at minus 11. Broadview Mooseman minus 10, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington minus 12. The Yorkton Melville region has a mainly cloudy sky, a north northwest wind at 35, gusting to 52 kilometers an hour. 79% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 11 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 21 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. CJGX Yorkton, a Harvard Media radio station serving Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We are GX94.